Welcome to the Dharma Spring. First, uh, this is from, these are the opening lines of Bodhisattva's Vow, written by Tore Zinji, who was a disciple, probably the, maybe the chief disciple of uh, Hakuin Ekaku. So Hakuin lived 17th, 18th century, and Tore at the same time, more in the 18th because he was younger. And so Hakuin's the one we trace back our koan lineage to, that it was dying out and becoming more of an intellectual exercise and fading away. And, and so we credit the fact that we practice what we practice thanks to the efforts of Hakuin. But also Tore, a pretty uh, fierce and dedicated practitioner, kept things alive and kept them going as well. Um, I think when you... When Hakuin's your teacher, you might just be overshadowed all in all. But I think uh, Tore is pretty impressive as well um, and helped further things and kept them going so that we could receive them today. Yeah. And he had practiced several different forms of Buddhism before he came to Hakuin. For about 13, 14 years, he was practicing before coming to, again, uh, to meet with who became his last teacher. And in that 13 or 14 year period, he had had like a two year solitary retreat time and another three years of intensive training of some sort. And when he arrived at Hakuin, he was only 22 or 23 years old. So he began when he was nine. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's some dedication. <laughs> uh, so, wow, he was only 23? And then he met Hakuin. So a little bit about him, if you want to look up more, feel free to do so. And I brought copies of the entire writing, uh, though it's in our sutra book, I'll set them up here and you're welcome to take the whole thing home. I'm just going to look at these opening words tonight. And just, not all of them, just the ones that jumped up to me, spoke to me. In the same way I dropped them in and invited you to see what comes for you. I'm just sharing what's come up for me, then we'll get to see where that goes. The first thing that catches my attention is this real form of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where does your mind go when you hear something like that? When I look deeply into the real form of the universe, yeah, it almost implies something other than what's right in front of you. What comes to mind is you can't see the forest for the trees, but to me that's not satisfying enough. It's more of I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of the jungle. That's where I want to get. And so I make my way pushing aside the the thick undergrowth and overgrowth and all of that. Maybe I have a machete and I'm chopping through to get to the heart of the jungle. But everything I'm pushing and maybe chopping through, that's the jungle as well. It's not like the jungle's only in the heart. It's everywhere. So this real form of the universe, this is it. (laughs) Guess what? The things you see every day, this is the real deal. It's not somewhere else. So that's interesting, yeah? And that's, you know, part of this Zen practice. It's not about some other realm to wonder about and try to pursue to get to. It's like, this one, this real form of the universe, and all around, yeah? (laughs) So my interest then shifts over to the looking deeply part. Like, that's what the difference is. It's not like I have to get beyond the things of my daily life to see the real form of the universe. It's more of 
well, it is kind of a have to get beyond the, the things that have become obstacles to directly seeing what's right in front of me. And that's what the looking deeply is for me. That's what we do in meditation. We sit down, get still and quiet, and just pay attention to what's happening and notice, well, here's this filter, this lens I've been seeing things through, and that changes the way things appear to me. And then I notice, maybe if I can set that filter aside or deconstruct it, take it apart, then I can look more deeply into things because there's less of a barrier or separation between me and the things themselves. So it's almost like the looking deeply is inherent as well. We just put obstacles up in front of ourselves. Those obstacles are usually, well, can be opinions and stories and beliefs about the way things are, about who we are. And we take those stories as a substitute for reality. So we look deeply into that. That's also the real form of the universe, the stories we tell, the beliefs we have. And it's also real that they obstruct us and skew our views. It's also real that we can let them drop, set them aside. Maybe let them fade away completely, yeah? Again, that's our practice of meditation. Not just sitting meditation, which is a great place when everything else is still and quiet around you, a great place to let things drop and just be there, but this is our practice all the time. As we see, you know, the word Zen literally means meditation, but it doesn't mean sitting meditation. It means to live your entire life like you live on the cushion with that connection, that relationship to things, not cross-legged and floating around and hovering like on the cushion, but to have that direct, intimate relationship with things all the time. So we walk that around through our lives, looking deeply into the real form of the universe all the time. It seems however deeply we look, there's always more deeply to go. Yeah? (laughs) That rug that supported us gets pulled out from beneath us, or maybe the floor collapses. Oh, deeper still, deeper still. (laughs) Yeah. What most caught my attention with this, and I've been, it's been nearly 20 years that I encountered this, this writing, these words. And, hmm, I guess I've never seen these words that I'm about to speak about in this particular way, but I'm not sure that that's true. I think I haven't put words to how I felt about them. Not that I felt like this way about them from the beginning, but it was nice to look at it and go, oh, here's the words I'd put on this experience of these two, this uh, combination of words, which is mysterious truth. Yeah? First of all, there's the T word, <laughs> which is always, yeah, for me, ah, oh, truth. You know, that capital T, figuring things out, I've always shied away from. Not always, but I tend to shy away from it because it feels too settled and concrete and, aha, I've got it figured out, which is like, nah, you don't. (laughs) Talking to me, And maybe to others as well. You know that adage, something along the lines of, trust someone who is seeking the truth, but be wary about those who say they found it. (laughs) (laughs) But here it is, this mysterious truth. Um, And that's where the beauty comes in because... 
It's not this direct truth, this eternal truth. It's this mysterious truth. And mystery is unknown. So everything reveals the unknown truth. It's like, what? (laughs) This truth that you cannot know. I love that, you know, this mysterious truth. I was like, what, what do you mean? Because if you know it, if I know it, and I say, oh, that's it, then I've killed it. So I have to let it remain unknown. So I love that, again, I love that combination, the mysterious truth. I'm glad that they're partnered together because um, it's a great partnership. One, the mysterious, undoes, undoes the solidity of truth. And truth kind of gives some ground or feet from for mystery to walk in, walk upon, yeah? Walk with. And so then the next thing it says, which I tonight said awakening, the words in the writing are tatagata. And a lot of you, I don't know, when I first started all those years ago, we had the Heart Sutra was still in uh, Sino-Japanese, but now it's in English for us. So our project has been to, as much as we can, put our chants into English, let's do that, without losing, you know, don't do it just for the sake of always translating things. There's one, you know, the Shosai Myo Kichijo Darani, that one remains, because it's, it's a Darani, and those aren't meant to be sensible things. They're just chants and spells that aren't supposed to make sense, so we leave it untranslated. Everything else is translated, for the most part, but then we have this word, Tathagata, which isn't. And sometimes it can be a barrier because of what Tathagata. What's that? It was um, several years ago, I was an interfaith, it was kind of a church hopping, I don't know what they call it, <laughs> but there was a group of us, we were going, going to one of the people's churches and somebody might sing a hammer off or something, and then we went to another one and somebody said, hey, would you do something? And I said, okay, and this is what came to mind, but it says Tathagata a few times throughout it, but each time I said awakening, because here was a bunch of people who aren't signed up for this, <laughs> you know, out there in that crowd, and I wanted it to be accessible understanding, uh, something they can connect with. That's why I said it tonight, too. You know, otherwise, you're sitting there on your cushion, maybe going, Tathagata. I thought it was Tathagata. <laughs> no, it's Tathagata. Oh, what? Yeah. So, that, you know, as an aside, that ongoing project of taking this foreign practice, as it's always been when it's come to a new culture, a foreign practice, then we have to let it adapt to our culture and our time so that it becomes accessible to us but without watering it down so much that we lose it. So that's why I'm going to speak to Tathagata tonight and that's why it still says Tathagata on your sheets if you take one home. So I looked up, what is the actual definition? First, it's, it's one of the uh, names the Buddha used to refer to himself as. He had several, I guess. And I think this says it was the most common one he called himself, the Tathagata. I don't know if that's a no-self thing or not, talking about yourself in third person. (laughs) I am Tathagata. (laughs) So I just looked up the definition, and interestingly, every one that I looked at says, it either means the one thus come or the one thus gone. 
Like, huh? <laughs> it, it, for them, it's either or. Either it's the one who has just... And thus come, we, we talk about being suchness or thusness. The one that's just completely here. Yeah. Or the one who's thus gone, which... It's like, well, how do those two correlate? <laughs> and for me, the thus gone... Another phrasing I saw of it was one who's gone completely beyond. For me, what that um, brought up was to go so so completely beyond that there is no beyond to go to. So to go beyond any idea that it's anywhere else. And you do that by thus coming, by arriving fully and completely. (laughs) So for me, I just changed the middle word or to and. So the definition becomes the one who thus comes and thus goes, simultaneously. And that's really the nature of all things at all times. Constantly arriving and constantly departing. My hands just did it. (laughs) As simple as that. Things are rising and falling, rising and falling, completely, completely. That's just the nature of existence. So to be Tathagata is to acknowledge... You're in the flow of the coming and going of all things, directly there with it, yeah? And so awakening being that, the mysterious truth of awakening is this thing that's constantly coming and going that you can't get a hold of. But you can hold it. (laughs) You can be that space that holds all the comings and goings of everything, the risings and fallings. And some of the risings are long arcs that take a while to fall, and others are... So you can't get a hold of it, but you can hold it. Or as it says in the Tao Te Ching, you can't know it, but you can be it at ease in your own life. So that kind of explains the mysterious truth. But the truth is it's right here in front of you. Yeah? But it's mysterious because it's always changing, so it's not going to stay right here in front of you in the form that it's in. It's going to keep moving, but because it does that, it's true. <laughs> it's the true thing that is at this moment. Yeah? And then the next line, this truth never fails. I think that's just a very matter-of-fact statement. Things are always showing up as they are, moment by moment. It, they cannot not do that. Right? Yeah. So it's no kind of high and mighty, it never fails. Like Things just keep being what they be, (laughs) endlessly, including us. Then I just jump to something that's captured my heart for a long time, is that, you know, things can't help but shine with this light. Despite our better efforts to say, that's not it, that can't be it, I can't be it, Things can't help but shine with this light. That's all that they do. And they only shine with the light of what is. Yeah? Effortlessly. So we kind of have to look at what is our association or definition of light in this case? Because then we have these things that don't seem light if we have an idea of the light being easy, bright, beautiful things, right? So this works against our definitions and invites us to drop those because that could be one of those obstacles. 
and invites us to look deeply into what is the light of what is right now. And how can everything, in every moment, in every place, be shining with it effortlessly? Yeah. Oh, you know, when the light is shining through sorrow, there's a heaviness in the chest and a wrenching in the belly. That's it. When it's shining through joy and ease, there's exuberance and a dance-like quality and this illumination of things around. Yeah. And when it's irritation, it's like wearing a wool sweater underneath your skin. Yeah, that's the light. And when it's pain, it's barbs that poke or stones that hit hard. Yeah. And out in the world, it's you know the small, generous kindnesses humans give to one another, unknowingly sometimes, just being... Offering what's needed, yeah? And it's also the dark, twisted world we see out there sometimes with, you know, fear and ignorance and people shouting their truths. Not to hear one another, but to try to shout the loudest, because if you do that, you might win. That's it, too, yeah? It can't help this light. It can't help but shine in everything, every moment, every place. And it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's shining (laughs) through all those circumstances. Like if you take a flashlight and you shine it, you know, well, this isn't glass. If you shine it through this, if it was glass, you know, it'd shine through and open up in different ways. If you uh, put it through a smoky window or like those yellow windows there it comes through yellow and a little different if you put a box over it you can't really see it at all maybe through the cracks so the light looks different each time depending on what you're sticking it in but the flashlight and the original light is still the light it's never changed it just comes through different things and it can't help but do that and this flashlight doesn't have an off switch And this is the invitation for us in this practice. This is what, well, I say our birthright is, is to realize this awakening. Don't just believe these words of mine or anybody else's. All these teachers, they say this, Torre Zinji's talking about it, but not so you can just believe it and think it's true and live your life based on his story. The invitation is find out for yourself. Look for yourself deeply into this real form of the universe that is yours to look deeply into. Yeah? So, yeah, it's not, you know, don't believe this at all, but test it out. Walk it through your life. Look, look, look. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Again and again. Mm. So, what I will offer as a... Maybe some encouragement for that looking wherever you're at in whatever whatever circumstance. It's kind of in the same spirit of you know looking at these words and getting beneath what's on the surface and kind of undoing them and taking apart the definitions. So what I'm going to offer you is three stoppings, three things to stop. One, stop looking for it somewhere else. Okay. 
If you keep looking for it somewhere else, it'll never be here. In fact, it's already here, so stop looking somewhere else. <laughs> yeah? Hmm. We spend a lot of energy and time doing that. Yeah? Because we have a story or an idea of what it looks like. And it's never quite what's right here. So if we undo those stories and stop looking for it somewhere else, that's a good step, I think. Yeah? <laughs> So in addition to stop looking for it somewhere else, stop thinking you know what it looks like. Stop thinking. That you know what it looks like. Because that gets in the way. I know this through experience. When I go to the pantry looking for the blue box of pasta. <laughs> and I look and I look and I look and I cannot find the blue box of pasta. And then, you know, I'm just trying to find the penne. That's Ian's favorite. It's like, I can't find it, I can't find it. And then Wendy will walk and take it out because it's in a red box. <laughs> but because I thought it was blue, I couldn't see it. So, stop thinking you know what it looks like, that you have any idea what it is. That gives it the freedom to show up and let you see what it looks like. Yeah? And the last stopping is, stop thinking that you can or that you have gotten a hold of it. <laughs> yeah? Because again, that's how you kill it. When you're, ah, oh, I've got it, I've figured it out, I've arrived, aha, right? But again, you can't hold on to it, you can't know it, but you can be the space for it, you can hold it in that, in your experience, you can be it, as the Tao says. Yeah? So if you can, as soon as you can you know, do these three stoppings and more, but these are just three. We like, we like threes, humans. So there's your easy three list. <laughs> um, the sooner you can stop wasting your energy on those efforts that aren't going to get you anywhere, you give yourself more fully to this real form of the universe that is the world around you and within you. When you're not trying to get somewhere else, not trying to solve who you are, not trying to find it, have no, no idea what it looks like, then your energy gets freed up to engage with that mysterious truth of coming and going, rising and falling, here and gone, over and over, yeah? And the sooner we can realize this, each of us, the sooner we can settle the great matter of life and death. <laughs> and then get on living it. And dying it, I suppose. That goes hand in hand. But, you know, the, sooner, the sooner we can just realize it. The sooner we can settle it all. And then fully engage. Fully be here. Completely immersed in the world. Completely engaged but no longer entangled by it. In that sense of freedom, yeah. Could you say that again? Engaged, but not... Fully immersed and engaged in the world, just not entangled by it. 
for me, the only reason we get entangled by it is because we're trying to get out of it. So it wraps itself around us tighter because we're trying to remove. Just get in there. You don't get entangled anymore. Because where else can you go? This is it. Yeah. <laughs>